Welcome to a Biblical Perspective Podcast, where God's point of view matters. I'm your host, Prophet C.T. Johnson. This podcast is designed to expand you beyond the mind's cultural and theological limitations about the Bible and what it teaches. Prepare for the challenge of becoming a critical thinker, analyzing life from God's perspective. Boldly and unapologetically, I'll address the ills and issues of our day using scripture as the frame of reference. Get ready to empower your thinking and change your life. Now, let's hear what God has to say. I want to deal with this subject tonight in regards to the truth about repentance. There's so much that we are hearing, so much that is being preached, so much that is being herald across the pulpit. Unfortunately, most of it is unscriptural, unbiblical, it's errant and erroneous. And so I was led tonight to deal with this subject and to bring us back to a biblical and scriptural understanding of repentance and look at it from God's perspective and not from the perspective of culture, not from the perspective of secularism, uh, not from the perspective of popular opinion, not even from the perspective of religion and or religiosity, but dealing with it, repentance from the scriptures, from the Bible, from God's perspective, because he's the one that allows for repentance. And that's a great segue into where we're going tonight in that, again, it is God that allows for repentance. And we're going to deal specifically with that statement as we go to the scriptures in a few, but I want to preface this tonight by uh, taking us into that segue in regards to the statement that it's God that allows for repentance. We are living in a day where grace, the grace of God, another subject matter, another topic that is being taught and preached unscripturally, unbiblically, being taught from a secular perspective, being taught from uh, a cultural perspective, that because we are under grace, that we are able and permitted to live in account to our own will in alignment, I should say that we're, we're permitted to live in alignment or in accordance with our own will, with our own desires, because God is a God of love. And, and we use that as a cop out to say that because he loves us, he condones our behavior. He condones whatever it is that we will to do, that we desire to do that is uh, contrary to his will. And that is anything but truth. That is anything but Bible. That is anything except for what God has said. Because the apostle Paul says to us emphatically, should we continue in sin, that grace may abound. So in other words, does grace permit, does grace authorize us as Christians living in accordance to our Adamic nature, according to our fallen self. He says, Paul, of course not. God forbid. 
All right. He says, where grace abounds, sin, where sin abounds, rather, grace much more abounds. However, grace is not a free pass or a free ticket. So why did I mention that? Because of the erroneous grace message, we have also been taught that, listen, you can go out there and do what you want to do. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. We'll deal with that in a minute. And because he is, he will allow you to repent anytime, whenever you're ready to. God will stand there like the prodigal like the prodigal son father with his arms outstretched, awaiting for you to come to yourself, awaiting for you to realize that the father has a better life, that the father has a better will, that the father desires better for you. And when you realize that when you have your epiphany, he will be there with his arms outstretched. Well, the issue with that story is that it is void of scriptural biblical foundation. Because as I forementioned, as you're coming in, for those of you that are just coming in, share, 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 and help me get this word out that we're dealing with a subject that is not dealt with, and that is repentance. Uh, because we've been taught, because we are in this grace age, because we're in this love age, we have been taught that repentance is on your terms and that because he's love God, because he's mercy God, that he will always be there. And then, of course, you know, we have to go to scripture and use it out of context to validate our damnable devil's doctrine. And so as I unfold this tonight, I want you to stick with me and bear with me as we deal with the truth about repentance. What does the scriptures actually say? Well, let's look at Psalm 118 first and foremost. Psalm 118 and uh, verse 1. The New King James, listen to this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, because this is one of the scriptures that we use to validate our wayward lifestyle. This is what we use, the scripture we use uh, to give us a pass for backsliding, give us a pass for dipping and sipping, give us a pass for getting as close to the world as possible without actually becoming a part thereof. But listen to what the scriptures say. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We know that. There's no argument there. For his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. And then Psalms 136, verse 1 through 26 was too much to put on a slide. But go in your leisure and read Psalm 136, verses 1 through 26, the entire psalm is repetitive of the statement, his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. That's the word of God. The word of God is infallible. The word of God stands sure. The word of God is what forever settled in heaven. God said that he places his word above his name. 
So we're not arguing with what the word says, but here's the problem. We cannot extrapolate from the scriptures what we desire, twist it to mean what it does not. Many use these scriptures in the psalm again to validify their backsliding, their infidelity, their behavior, because we've been taught, come back to him. When you're ready, he will be there. Repentance will always be available. And that's not the scripture. And when the Bible tells us and or talks to us about God's mercy enduring forever, let me help us with what it does not mean. Okay. His mercy endures forever does not mean that God's mercy will forever be extended to you. Now, let's sit on that. Y'all just sit on that because we have been taught incorrectly. We take these scriptures out of Psalms. I want y'all to see the scriptures again. Let me bring them back. We take Psalms 119, 118, I'm sorry. We take Psalm 118, we take Psalm 136, and we interpret it to say that because God's mercy endures forever, that there's nothing you or I can do to cause his mercy to be cut off or turned off toward us. And that's not true because the scripture even says in Genesis, God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. My spirit will not always contend with man. My spirit will not always battle with man, uh, uh, fight with man to do what is right, to do what is in alignment with my will, purpose and intention for their life. God says, I'm not always going to be forgiving. I'm not always going to wink. There's also in the scriptures where it says that God is no longer winking at the, the sin of Israel, winking at their waywardness, but that judgment was coming, but that repercussions were coming, but that consequences were coming. All right. See, these are words that we don't want to hear. These are words that we don't want to speak in reference to a God that's loving and a God that's full of mercy. But what we need to understand is that God's mercy, hear me and hear me well, because I'm teaching your Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm empowering your thinking with the word of God. I'm, I'm, I'm helping us to, 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 to recalibrate our mind and align it with what God actually said, what God actually meant, what is actually stated in the scriptures. Because God's mercy, he, his mercy endures forever. This is what it actually means. Let's look at this. Because the etymological meaning of endure is to continue in existence. So when Psalm 118 and Psalm 136 says that his mercy endures forever, it's not saying that you can do whatever you want to do and God's mercy will remain extended unto you, that God's mercy will always meet you, that God's mercy will always be that bridge that allows you to cross back over to God. That's not what the scriptures, that's not what the Bible is saying. 
the Bible is saying in God's mercy enduring forever is that his mercy, he rather will never cease to possess mercy because he is mercy. God doesn't necessarily have mercy. God doesn't necessarily as far as possess or contain mercy. God is mercy. Just like God doesn't really have love, possess love, contains love. He is love. He is the substance thereof. And so when the scripture says that his mercy endures forever, this is what the word of God is actually saying to us, that his mercy will continue to exist. Nothing you can do, nothing I can do that will ever alleviate God from mercy. Nothing we can do, nothing we can become can eradicate the mercy of God, can cause it to not exist. That's what the Bible is saying. Now, how does this tie and or connect with repentance? I'm glad you asked. Now, again, this is not a favorable subject, but we need to understand especially as we are progressing further into this technological age, as we're progressing further into this AI age, as there is so much out here that Satan is using tactical warfare. Uh, 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 there is so much that he has at his disposal that he is using to, to deter to detour and deter the saints from God's will, purpose, and plan for their lives and to, to, to snatch them out of God's will, prohibiting God or impeding, I should say, God from progressing in his campaign. So we need to ensure that we are educated in alliance and in alignment rather and in accordance with the scriptures that we're not developing itching ears, allowing ourselves to be pulled away, to be strayed, to, to stray away by heresy, by damnable doctrine, by doctrines of devils, uh, because we don't want to engage in discussions that are unfavorable and unpopular. We have to make sure that we are not informing the people of God, the children of God incorrectly, that we're not giving erroneous information because in doing that, we are setting the saints up for failure, deceiving them in believing that you can go out there, that you can come in and out, that you can come in and out, that you can come in and out that you can come in and out because he's a loving God. He's a forgiving God that you can just, just repent, just repent, just repent, just repent. And that's not scripture. That's not Bible that we can just go in and out, go in and out uh, uh, as though God is gullible, as though God is naive, as though God doesn't even deserve better. You understand? Now let's look at this. Let's look at this. I'm getting to the main point. Let's look at Romans 9. Romans 9 and ver beginning at verse 15. Listen to the scriptures. For he says to Moses, listen to this, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. Now, 
we can just stop right there for a minute because that verse alone debunks the statement that God's mercy will continue to be extended toward everyone. That's not what the scripture says. He says, I will have mercy on whomever I will, which lets us know that there are times that God decides I'm not going to extend mercy. So y'all don't like that. Is, are y'all reading the scripture? For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Verse 17, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power. Now, listen to the Bible that I may show my power in you, that my name be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills. Listen to this. And whom he wills, he hardens. Now, just let that sit. Because I'm trying to get us to <laughs> believe the Bible and not necessarily those who teach it or preach it. Because everyone that's preaching and teaching the Bible is not teaching it and preaching it or should I say rightly dividing it? Everyone that wears a collar, everyone that bears a title, everyone that bears the name of Jesus Christ, every church that has church in their title, Christian in their title, does not necessarily mean that they are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that pastor, that that minister, that that leader is teaching in accordance with the word of God. All right. So this is why we have to study to show ourselves approved and we ought to uh, uh, trust but verify, as they say, in the military and make sure that we are doing our own due diligence and our own homework. And we are studying the word of God, that we are praying, that we have a relationship with God, that we are maintaining that relationship and that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal truth, that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to to. Uh, 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 lead us in whom we hear and, and, and lead us as it pertains to whom we listen to and whom we expose our spirit and our mind to. Because this teaching that you can come in and out, you can go in and out and God will be there again, like the prodigal son's father waiting with arms stretched. You would not, if you had good sense, continue to allow people to misuse you, abuse you and take advantage of you knowing good and well that they aren't connected to you for the purpose of developing a legitimate relationship that has re reciprocity, that's reciprocal, that they're not desiring to give back, but they, they are only connected to you. They are only in your life for the purpose of taking, for the purpose of gaining, for the purpose of being fulfilled but they are never fulfilling. They are never giving. They are never planting. They are never sowing. They're always reaping. They're always gathering. If we have enough sense to mark people like that and eventually close the door, in other words, cut off their access to our resources, cut off their access 
to our possessions, cut off their access to our time, cut off their access to our availability. Don't you know God has greater sense than we? And so again, what does the Bible say? So God didn't have mercy on Pharaoh. He didn't have mercy on Egypt because he had a point that he needed to make because he needed to show himself strong. And so do not be deceived in thinking that the mercy of God in what the scripture says as it pertains to his mercy endures forever, meaning that it is consistently, continuously forever extended toward you or I or said persons. No, endure simply means to continue to exist. God's mercy will, uh, uh, yeah, to continue to exist. God, mercy, as it pertains to God, will never cease to exist because he is mercy. And God, God is eternal. God is going nowhere. God doesn't age out. God doesn't die out. And so his mercy will continue to exist because he is mercy. Again, God doesn't necessarily possess mercy, possess love, possess patience and all that. He is that. He embodies that. And so as long as he exists, everything that he is continues to exist. So listen again, and I'm getting ready to move. I will have mercy on whomever I will. We can't dictate to God whom he will extend mercy to. But the point is that I'm endeavoring for you to see in the scriptures is that if the scripture says, and it does, that God has mercy upon whom he chooses, then that rules out. Everybody will continue to be a recipient of his mercy. Meaning, do what you want. You know, we make God seem as though that he doesn't have options. <laughs> that he has to use us. That we are his only go-to. Wasn't that the prophet's problem? He said, I'm the only prophet left. And God said, no, no, don't get it twisted. He said, don't get it, don't get it twisted. I have hundreds that have not bowed their knee to Baal. See, we think God doesn't have options. We think that we are indispensable, that we're irreplaceable. But we are very much so. Now, I only have two more places to take you, and I'm done. Second Timothy, and I'm getting ready. Uh, well, we're here right now. Second Timothy, as it pertains to the truth about repentance. Now, this is where I wanted to, to go tonight. Second Timothy 2. 25. Now, this is a scripture that many don't even know exists in the Bible. But let's look at what the Bible says. In humility, 2 Timothy 2 and 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. Did y'all read that? If God perhaps, see Paul is mentoring Timothy here 
And he's informing Timothy, instructing Timothy of what his responsibility, what his duty, what his role is as a pastor, as a leader, as a ministry leader. Talking to him about the responsibility and role of a ministry leader, really as Christians in regards to evangelism. And he says, you're responsible to correct in humility, not with arrogance, not with pride, but to correct with humility those who oppose God. He says, uh, desiring, in other words, if God perhaps will grant repentance. See, repentance for those, you know, well, listen, God is a forgiving God. He is. But he, as a sovereign, he has the right to choose who he will forgive. Will he continue to forgive over and over and over and over and over and over again? He said, well, you know, Jesus said, talk about 70 times 70. However, seven times 70. However, we need stop speaking for God. As though he didn't already state his mind, that he didn't already establish his thoughts concerning everything. Now, let me finish this out. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. See, God, God has to choose, or let me say it this way, God has to allow for the backslider to come back. And this is why the old saints would admonish us once you come in to God, stay in. And that's why the saints uh, uh, throughout that lie years ago, you know, those who preached the Bible back then, not a whole lot of people preaching the Bible now, but that there's no such thing as saved, once saved, always saved. The scripture says that no man can pluck us out of God's hand. However, the scripture does not say that you cannot walk out. See, it says that no man can pluck you out. No man can extract you. No man can take you out of the hand of God because nobody is more powerful than he. Nobody can strong, excuse me, can strong arm him. So no man can pluck you out. However, the scriptures does not say that you can't walk out that you can't turn your back on God, that you can't leave him, that you can't forsake him. And in the event we do, see, coming back to God is not automatic. Because Paul talked about God. See, can we just get back to Bible? Paul talked about God turning you over to a reprobate mind. God turning those persons, those individuals over whom have rejected his mercy countless times, whom have rejected his love, whom have rejected his way. God says, you want that? I'm going to let what you want have you. See, you know, see, I, I can't get nobody to talk back to me tonight. I'm that unpopular prophet. See, 
God says, what do you want that's out of my will, that's out of my character, that's out of who you are as a new creation being, but you are persistent in pursuing sin, even though you have been freed from it, even though you have been liberated from it, even though sin's clutches is no longer, uh, no longer has the, the hand of sin, no longer has a hold on you, but you yet choose to go after it and reconnect. He said, I'm going to let what you want have you. I'm going to let that desire, let that proclivity, let that lust, let that, 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 that perversion have you, consume you, devour you. I'm turning you over to that reprobate mind. So again, the Bible validates itself or the Bible interprets, scripture interprets scripture. And so he says that if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses. See, God has to allow the prodigal. See, when, when, when we teach the prodigal son, when we teach that account, we teach it as though the prodigal son in and of himself came to himself. No, it was by the mercy of God. It was God that allowed, it was the spirit of God that allowed him to, to be awaken. It was the spirit of God. It was the love of God. It was the mercy of God. It was the grace of God. Yes, it was God though. It was not the prodigal son in and of himself that just shook himself and like, Ooh, what am I doing? No, it was God extending mercy upon whom he willed. And God allowed him to awaken and allowed him to come back into his right mind. See, we, no, 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 you, you, we aren't outside of God, outside of being born again, outside of being born from above, outside of becoming a new creation in Christ. We are inferior to Satan and his army and his company and his host. The only way that we are superior to Satan, the only way that we overpower devils, the only way that we become Satan's sovereigns is through Christ, is through the new creation, is through being born again, being born from above. They, but we have been deceived by erroneous teaching that we can do it in and of ourselves. But it was God's grace and it was God's mercy that allowed. Thank you, uh, Sister Paula uh, Curry. Give me some encouragement. I appreciate you. It was God that allowed the prodigal son to come to himself. He didn't come to himself by himself. Come on now. Let's not be stupid. And so this is what the scripture is saying here. 
So if God, and I told you, many, many don't, didn't even realize the scriptures in the Bible. If, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. We're talking about the truth of repentance. So you can't, I mean, you, you can go in and out and you know, well, well, you know, I tried God, I tried Christ, I tried living saved, but I still need to go out and sow my royal oats. And when I get ready, I'll come back to God. And unfortunately, you have pastors and preachers and prophets and all of these people uh, 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 telling you that, that, that you can. That you're going out here and listen, God loves you. God will be here when you get ready. You don't know that. <laughs> God will be here when you come, when you decide that, when, listen, when, when you've tried everything else and everything else has failed, God will be here waiting. God does not receive satisfaction from being the last resort. How would you feel? There are many of you listening. There are times that I felt that, 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 that I was in my feelings that I got beside myself because people, oh, they came to me as the last resort. As though they didn't believe I had the ability, they didn't believe I had the intelligence, they, they didn't believe that, that I could do it initially. So they overlooked me, went to all these other people, and then when they realized that those folk were the ones that couldn't do it, couldn't help. Then they came. You don't feel good necessarily. You don't feel all happy and excited and full of glee. So how do we how do we think God feels when we put him at the bottom of the list of priority, at the bottom of our choices, at the bottom? Versus at the top. When we put God as a resource and not the source. I just want you to just let the scriptures sink in tonight. Just, just having a fireside chat tonight. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. So that they may know the truth. But in order to know the truth, see, God has to open up the way of truth. God has to illuminate truth. Because the Bible also talks about how God sends a strong, a spirit of strong delusion. God convinces people to believe the lie because he knows that their motives toward him and their intentions toward him, they, they aren't pure. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. But it takes God. So this is the truth about repentance. You can't just repent when you get ready because repentance might not be an option. God extends to you. Oh, y'all don't like that. Repentance may not be the option. You backslider, you slipping and dipping and, and you tattooing up and you just doing everything. And well, you know, you, you're only 21 young. Uh, you're only 21 once and you're only 30 once. And so you're going out here listening to the world, listening to these these uh, preachers that are actually actual devils disguised as God's preachers and God's prophets. But they're prophets of Baal. And you listening to these folks thinking that you can come back, that God is that hard up 
that God is that naive that you can come back to God whenever you get ready. Okay, you keep playing because repentance might not be the option. Again, repentance might not be the option God extends. Reprobate might be the option. And it might be the only option. All right, last slide and I'm out. What does repent mean? So many people have their own interpretation. But repent etymologically, listen to this. And this really ties in with where we just left off the scripture in 2 Timothy. But repent, we're talking about the truth of repentance or the truth about repentance. Repent is to regret so deeply, goes beyond just sorrowful, goes beyond guilt. See, because guilt and regret are not necessarily synonymous. They're not necessarily the same thing because you can feel guilty that you got caught. You can even regret that you got caught versus regret doing what you did or feel guilty about what you did. You, you regret not refining <laughs> the plan good enough so that you wouldn't get caught. But to repent is to regret so deeply. See, we, we're, 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 we're about to move into an action. See, repenting, repentance, true repentance deals with corresponding action. To truly, biblically, scripturally repent, there has to be an action. There has to be an act. There has to be a deed, all right, that demonstrates repentance, that proves repentance, that fleshes out repentance. So it is to regret so deeply as to change, not the deed, but change the mind and or the mindset that brought about the action. See, actions are, are, are um, consequences of a mindset. Actions are deeds, actions, behaviors are consequences of a mindset. And that's why Romans 12 talks to us about not conforming to the world, but be transformed to God's way, transform to God's nature, transform into God's uh, being, new creation, transform into God's new creation. How? By the renewing of your mind. And so to repent is to have a deep regret so that you change your mind or course of conduct. Uh, um, course of conduct in consequence and develop new mental and spiritual habits. And does that not tie in and connect with what is said right here in 2 Timothy? All right. In humility, 
correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses, that they would change their mind. See, and it's coming to their senses is changing their mental state from their Adamic self, from their carnal self to their new creation self. It is the changing of their mind. It is a changing of their mindset. It is developing a new way of thinking that enables them to escape the snare, the plot of the devil. Are you seeing that? Well, believe it or not, I'm done. Thanks for listening to a Biblical Perspective podcast. If today's episode empowered you, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast at cpnshows.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. For more information about C.T. Johnson Ministries International, visit the website at ctjohnson.org or text Empower Me, all lowercase, no spaces, to 54244 to stay in the know. And connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at C.T. Johnson Ministries. Tune in next time as I continue to empower your thinking from God's perspective.